You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. New episodes every Monday. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. This is the Leaf Sky Podcast. Here's your host, Jim Taddy. Thank you very much, Mr. Mike Ross. That's a fine introduction. And welcome, everybody, to episode number 32 of Leaf Sky. Jim Taddy with you for the next 40 minutes or so. Our guest today, Terry Koshan from the Toronto Sun and Gus Katsaros from NBC Sports Edge and McKean's Hockey with a pretty keen eye on what the Leafs have been doing rather well lately. Before we get going... Basketball season won't be around forever, so now I'll get in on all the action with DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy sports. DraftKings is giving new players a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. Claim your free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes when using the code THPN during sign-up. Playing daily fantasy basketball is simple. Just pick your lineup, standard the salary cap, see how your team stacks up against the competition. Feel the sweat like never before. Every dunk, steal, and assist means so much more with a DraftKings daily fantasy lineup. Baseball fans, you may have missed out on the season-long fantasy, so now is the time to get in on all the daily fantasy action where DraftKings has even more ways to make it rain. With DraftKings, payday comes every day for players, so what the heck are you waiting for? Head to the app now. Ladies and gentlemen, here is the call to action. Download the DraftKings app now. Use the code THPN during sign-up. This week, DraftKings is putting you in the action with a free shot of millions of dollars in total prizes. The code is THPN for a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for specific details. All right, under the hockey story, and the Leafs love 4-1, to one, don't they? Three straight 4-1 wins over Winnipeg, Montreal, and now Vancouver, and four straight regulation wins, answering an 0-3-2 slump, air quotes, if you will. Uh, what is the storyline? Well, I think it's the depth. So going into the game on Thursday night, they had Anderson, Nash, Hyman, and Bogosian on the injury list, and they did maintenance rest for Muzzin, Riley, Felino, and Campbell. So break it all down, and we will several times with our guests throughout the course of this podcast. And you've got two goalies, three defensemen, and three forwards. That gives you eight players, all of high caliber. And so even with the backups filling in, the Leafs did not skip a beat. This is impressive depth. And not only is it depth uh, in numbers, it's versatility, flexibility on the roster. you got to love it. Uh, in the 4-1 win over Vancouver on Thursday night, Nylander and Matthews, as they did against Montreal the night before, opened the scoring. Engvall, who was returning to the lineup, scored it. And Marner added a goal late in the game to give the Leafs the 4-1 victory. And so all the Leaf big guns are playing well and, and firing on all cylinders. And the support players doing a nice job. But this team has a template that it plays by. And so when you add a player to the template, the job classification, the job description is very specific. We need you to do this, and the new player is doing that. This is impressive. I have to say, I can't recall a time where they had this kind of depth and this kind of execution. I know there were good teams back about 20 years ago, but but this team is, is better, in my opinion, and we'll see what our experts say. Our first bit of analysis comes to us from Terry Koshan from the Toronto Sun. Okay, Terry, so here's my theory. Uh, four straight wins. I'm going to throw out uh, the first one, the last three, all by 4-1. Not mm-hmm. quite 
perfection in Edmonton from earlier in the season, but pretty darn close, isn't it? Yeah, and, you know, let's look at what happened most recently. Uh, Thursday night against the Canucks, you take Muzzin out, Riley out, uh, Nick Foligno out, and the Leafs don't miss a beat. Um, it's, a, it, it's a positive, obviously. I mean, but this is the depth we've always been talking about. And, and uh, you know, it's uh, more than that, Jim. You're seeing, uh, I think, in the mentality of the group, uh, keeping the pedal down here in the final a uh, couple of weeks and uh, not taking anything for granted. They're nine points up now on the Edmonton Oilers that, you know, the, the, the first place in division is all but done. Um, but so that, I think that's the biggest positive though, is just the fact that, you know, they're not to put it loosely screwing around here and, you know, the opponents a little bit off. I mean, Vancouver's fallen to last in the division now. That's mostly to do with the, the uh, you know, playing the fewest amount of games that they have, but um you know, I'd expect more on Saturday night from the Leafs and, uh, you know, get a fuller lineup and all that sort of thing. But I think that's the biggest takeaway for me right now is that this group, uh, you know, they've clinched and everything. And I, I didn't expect there to be a letdown last night, but um, I don't think we're going to see one here in the final half dozen games either. Well, let me throw this at you. I mean, for me, what it what it tells me is, is that um, everything is so well-defined. The template is so solid. The systems are, are so well uh, entrenched in the team that when you take four out, uh, the four that come in have specific roles to play, and it's all defined for them, and they stick to that as opposed to the fire drill that we would have had in the past. Yeah, and you know what? I think it's a little more impressive last night, too, and Ben Hutton's getting his first shot, first game with the Leafs. Uh, Timothy Lilligren hadn't played an NHL game since March 5 a year ago. Hadn't played 19 days. Last game, the Marlies was April 10th before they got shut down for COVID. So um, there is, uh, you know, a guy like Lilligren. I mean, they like, they love the progress that he made with the Marlies this year. It didn't play a lot of games. I think it was 14 games or so. Uh, but that's what you want when you insert these guys, no matter how long, how long it's been since they played, that it's seamless. They do the same things, the Marlies that they do with the Leafs, obviously, to develop them the way they want them developed. And I thought he had a good game last night. Ben Hutton's a veteran. I think that's one thing we got to remember here. He's, he's going to be, you know, he'll hit 400 games next year in the NHL. So he's not just a throw-in. He's been around a bit. He's got that experience. I thought he was good. And then, you know, uh, probably the bigger piece of all that, Jim, last night, is Sandine getting the promotion to play with TJ Brody. And, uh, you know, to use Sheldon Keefe's post-game description, exceptional. Yeah. So he's just... Uh, Grown by leaps and bounds this year, Sandine has. I don't. I, I'm racking my brain here and trying to figure a scenario where he comes out of the lineup. Can't find one. So yeah, it, it, it's 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 a good spot for the Leafs to be in that way as well. I really like what I'm seeing. I, I go with layers, and, and that even applies to the five guys on the ice. The layers are, are the support. Uh, so in a forecheck, you, you have the guy, you know, one guy forechecking and another guy behind. And, and it, my approach has always been a layered attack. So yep. if we go with uh, the injury report, Anderson, Nash, Hyman, and Bogosian, and then the four guys who also were maintenance in the Thursday game, Muzzin, Riley, Foligno, and Campbell, uh, you can break that down. There, there's three defensemen three forwards, and two goalies. Mm-hmm. The look, when, when all those guys are in the lineup, and obviously they can't all be in the lineup because that's, that's eight hockey players, but the look that this team has, uh, it's it's layered. I mean, you've got, you can mix and match any way you want up front. You can now mm-hmm. do it on the blue line, and your goaltending depth is almost unprecedented. 
I mean, I, I don't know, you know, how this is going to track for the playoffs. I think you could predict what will happen in their own division. But after they get out, they may have to use all of this. But I don't know. You know, I'm sure somebody else has this look, but it's not it's not a collection of teams. Right. And I, I think the key is, too, we have to keep in mind that there will be an injury or two between now oh, yeah. and say they get through the second round. But your point is right. I mean, that's fine because the guys that are coming in are uh, – are doing well. And the other thing too, Jim, that I find is, is pretty impressive is the players recognize it, especially I'm, I'm talking more about the, the, the depth forwards and, and knowing that um, some of them know that they don't have a spot secured for the first game of the playoffs, whenever that may be later in May. And they're, they're playing, uh, you know, to the end of every shift and everything and all this sort of thing, the efforts there on all of them, the competition is obvious. So, you're getting you're getting that as well, and uh, you know it's. Um, I think when we look at these situations, the bigger picture, you say, well, it's a nice problem for Sheldon Keith to have, and I don't even know if you'd word it that way because there's no problem here. You're going to go with the best lineup you've got, and yeah. uh, you step on some feelings probably, but uh, the fact of the matter is, uh, like we said, injuries and this sort of thing will happen. We're seeing now, like even the guy like Adam Brooks just comes in and does well, yeah. you know. Joe Thornton last night was back to the line with Marners and Matthews. Everything's fine. You know, so you're, it's, it's what you're saying. You can mix and match and that's what you want. This is what good teams have, the, the depth and everything and, and not just the depth, but the ability to insert player A into slot B on any given night. And like you say, was it four wins in a row now, most of yeah. them handily and you're not missing a beat. So, you know, I, I the, the interesting thing for me last night, I asked Keith before the game, you know, when he told us the four players who were going to be out for maintenance, I said to him, you know, are you going to, is this something you plan to do in the final half dozen games? Uh, give guys rest. And he said, you know, not necessarily. Um, because the schedule does play in their favor. They're done with back-to-backs. I think there's a, there's a two-day gap between some games coming up. I think it's a three-day gap. So point is, players will be rested. And, you know, we don't know how soon that playoff round will start after the last game of the regular season. Right. That's still up in the air. So, point of all that is, you can still you can you can you can still build here in the final half dozen games to make sure everybody's in a good spot. But I think we're seeing that uh, most people already are. Yeah, it's just it's a layered attack. There's there's all kinds of flexibility, and I I bring that up because um, once you get into the third and fourth round, there's there's the uncertainty of not having played against any of the teams before, and something that you're presenting now that may work may not work there, and, yeah. and you have you have alternatives. I mean, this team really has uh, the depth of a Stanley Cup champion, and it's and and we all understand where this goes with the salary cap. This depth will not be there next year. It's almost now or never for this team, isn't? Well, for this group, but you know, I, I have some faith in Kyle Dubas and see what he can he can pull out of the hat with those with those lower tier roster spots in the off season. Because you're right, we've talked about this. The amount of people uh, with Maple Leafs right now on expiring contracts, what is it, eleven or a dozen or, or something like that? It, it's high, yeah. and that includes some guys who are you know on the taxi squad and that sort of thing. So, you know, uh, once you get past trying to resign Zach Hyman, I think the doors are open for a lot of people. Um, you know, early indication would tell you that, you know, if somehow Dubas could find a way to keep Nick Foligno, I don't know that that's going to happen. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think the positive going forward that, uh, you know, you're going to have the core in place here again next year. And the, the X factors in that are, are Hyman, of course, is a big piece of the core. You have to resign him. And, I, you know, I don't necessarily include Freddie Anderson in that going forward. Um, so I think Jack Campbell's a fine goaltender and they'll do something else there to, uh, to shore that up. But 
the opportunity is there. And you know what? As far as not knowing what it's going to be like, you know, provided they get into the third round, you know, I don't know that that's going to be a big worry. Um, I think that they'll adjust fairly quickly. I don't think, put it this way, I don't think there's going to be a, a, a situation where they get to the third round and get handled easily and you're look, they're looking at it going, what just hit us? Because as you said, it's a deep club. It's a club that's doing things properly together. It's structured and yeah. it's getting production from all areas. So we'll have to see when that comes, but I don't think that that's a worry. It should be a worry outside the organization. I don't think it is one within. Well, I mean, even if you go back over the last three games, they're eerily similar. The Leafs got off to a good start, although in the, the win against Winnipeg, Ehlers scored, but then the Leafs responded. And after the Leafs took control of that game, there was some pushback from the other team, and, and they weathered the storm. And, and I think that's, you know, not only does that apply to the last three wins and, and maybe the last four, I think it applies to the Leafs season. If you do like a big picture approach, you're going to see there's some there's some adversity in there with injury and with result, and they push through it, and, and you have confidence that they're going to find a solution. And, and that might be a first time for, a, a, you know, an assessment of the Leafs team because I don't think we were ever there before. No, we were not in the regular season. And then we saw what would happen in the playoffs. And you know what? You have to accept the fact that that's not going to happen every night. There are going to be losses every so often. But the fact sure. of the matter is, there haven't been many of the Leafs this year. And you're right. When you know there's been the odd one, you look at it and say, "Okay, what happened there?" But um, you know, that, that the game in Winnipeg, the the Ehlers goal early, like you say, it just the response was, uh, you know, just whatever, shrug and go on and go win the hockey game. Um, you know, it's uh, the maturity, the growth, and everything else of the, of the of the group of players who have been here and been through all this stuff. But um, I think that's a real positive. And you know, you kind of get tired of these. Oh well, same old these. So when the playoffs, you know, come, we you'll you know see what really happens. But I don't buy that at all. I mean, this is just a different hockey team this year. There's no two ways about it. Yeah, I mean the the history lesson is over, and and that used to be the, uh, the the prime source of analysis for this team. But I don't think any of that applies anymore, and we all understand that. So, um, are you ready for this? Sure. Okay, fasten your seatbelts. Trays in the upright position, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Let's now play yes guy, no guy on Leafs guy. Yes guy, no guy number one. Goaltending no longer a concern. Yes guy, it's not a concern. Does that make sense? Yes. sorry for the wording there but yeah i mean it is solid and jack campbell has uh, dealt with his own adversity not so hard on himself and looked really good in the game in montreal i mean he looked vintage there yeah he did and you know what uh again we talk about not every win is their game is going to be perfect well it's the same with the goaltending and obviously the hopes rise a little high when somebody comes in and wins their first 11 decisions of the season and uh, you know they're a little bit of a swoon there and he's come right back and been good you know and I think too or Riddick last night Jim uh, good for him to not really have a lot of action 16 shots fewest Leafs given up in the, in the game this year and you know good to get his confidence back with that performance as well yes guy no guy number two concern about this team is the lowest in your lifetime oh. my lifetime yes oh <laughs> oh my <laughs> well I, yeah I, well I, listen I, my, I, I'll go back to when I started covering the Leafs in 2000 and there wasn't much concern about them then either under Pat Quinn but this is a different group altogether it was a much older club then and everything and uh, you know it, uh, it's it's if you say you're concerned about the Leafs right now it's nitpicking at things that probably aren't real let's put it that way 
Well, I mean, but that's a good comparable. So let's go back to the, the Pac-12 okay. teams. They, I mean, they were very good. Yeah. But uh, but I think you know because of the the landscape of the league, where there were teams that had um, that were like totally loaded. And the Leafs were were good, but they were they were going up against loaded teams. Certainly, when they got out of the conference, um, I don't think that the, you know as good as they were. I don't think they had what this team has. No, I don't think so either. Because you know one of the, one of the things that this team has is the ex, the excellence from the youth. I mean, yes, Marner and Matthews are superstars. Period. And you know they're barely legal. You know what I mean? It, it's just yeah. there's so many good years for this team to come. Uh, you didn't have that sense of it with the Quinn teams, and then sure enough, by the mid two thousands, it was done. Yeah, we're not going to be talking like two or three years from now what happened. It's you know we could be talking about a cup win in Toronto, and I think that's that's quite uh, viable. Um, but you know, although these guys have been through a lot together um, and have lost some playoff rounds, you could almost argue that this is really be still part of the beginning for this group. And just uh, you know, it, it can only get better in my mind. Yeah, again, with respect to the, the Quinn teams, they were good. There's no question yeah. about that. Yeah. But they did not have Matthews and Marner. The, Matthews and Marner used to come in on the other team. Yeah, and you know what? Well, you, and you look back at that, those teams too. I mean, like you say, solid all the way through. And yeah. now the one difference I might argue would be the goaltending of Curtis Joseph and Ed Belfour. Uh, yes. Did a lot of good things for those teams. Um could you argue that in the past few years, had they had a similar type of goaltending in the playoffs, that we wouldn't be talking about success of first-round defeats? I would think you might win that argument. So yeah, there's, I, that, I, there's, there's that difference, but that, that might be about it. I, I think that you, you probably wouldn't have first-round defeats, but I'm, I'm going to say that uh, this team is structured different. I don't know that you need uh, Curtis Joseph or Eddie Belfour in this team. What you need is, is a solid, a really good goaltender, but not stupendous. No, and you know what? We're seeing that. I mean, this is not a team that is porous on defense anymore. And I think that that's obviously one of the one of the biggest improvements that they've made. And it's not just the defense core. It's, it's as you've alluded to earlier, Jim. It's what they're doing structurally, the five-man units when they're on the ice. It's just there's a lot more uh, cohesiveness and... Um, you know, to me, that's one of the that's one of the that's got to be one of the huge positives going into the postseason because they've been doing this all season against teams that they're going to play in the first two rounds, and you know, provided they get it at the first, I think they will. So um, there's that difference as well that we have to take into consideration because it's it's significant. Okay, so now I'm obligated to ask this yes guy no guy question. Yes guy no guy. The Toronto Maple Leafs are a legitimate Stanley Cup threat. Yeah, of course they are. Yes guy. Yep. Yeah. I don't know how you can argue against it. No, I'm with you on that. It's a very specific answer, and we move on. Final yes guy, no guy for this round. Yes guy, no guy. Marner and Nylander will have very good Stanley Cup runs. Yes guy. Yeah. Marner is just, you know, Matthew said it last night. Maybe he doesn't get kind of the uh, attention or respect he deserves. I think he does in this market. He's just, what is he, third in NHL scoring now? It's just, it, again, the things he does without the puck defensively. And I, yeah, I mean, Nylander may be a bit more of a question mark because you just out of him, you want to see that consistency. But you got to like what that line's doing right now, him, Tavares, and Galchenyuk. And we'll see where Galchenyuk is when the playoffs start. But um, Nylander's having, you know, a good little run here. And I would expect that to continue into the postseason. Yeah, I mean, there was concern in the past that Nylander would stay to the outside. And, and for Marner, I mean, you know, he has to create his own space, which can be has been difficult in the past. But, you know, when you go to his regular season point totals, I mean, 
those are franchise records so the consistency yeah. the 60 plus points um, so let me ask you this uh, we've we completed our yes guy no guy for those scoring at home yeah. uh, with the what line did, did i win i, I could have won yeah, I think you did. Yeah, I don't know. That's a, a minuscule prize on its way. <laughs> okay, so so with the lineup totally intact and healthy, yep. uh, the, the question then becomes, um, where does Hyman play, and what does that mean for Galchenyuk or Mikheyev? Uh, well, if I was penciling in the lineup for game one, I'd have Hyman with Matthews and Marner. I know that some people – you know, in the brief look we've had, like Nick Felino there, I think you, you put Zach back in that spot. Do you then drop Felino down to play with uh, Tavares Nylander? That's a possibility. Um, I think that that, you know, could be a better fit there than Galchenyuk. Uh, as well as Galchenyuk has played in that line, um, you know, you would have liked to see a few more things go in the net with him and that sort of thing. Uh Again, though, this goes back to, the, I don't think there's a worry of then you start moving pieces around. Um, because we can we can see that wherever guys have been slotted in, they, they do relatively well, if not really well. Mikheyev, uh, you know, it's, um, I don't know, Kerfoot too. Again, what happens with him? Uh, you know, what's what are the expectations, the real ones for Riley Nash, who won't have played since April 4th? Yeah. Uh, his last game coming out with Columbus with a sprained knee. So there are still a lot of those balls moving around, but if you have um, – if you have a full, if Keith has a full full group at his, uh, you know, his fingertips, put Hyman back in the top line. I say put Felino on the second one, and um, you know, do you do you go with a fourth line of, of Adam Brooks between Thornton and Spezza the way they played? You could. Uh, Wayne Simmons obviously has a spot sewn up somewhere in there on the bottom six. Uh, Pierre Engvall probably not. I don't think so. Um, yeah. You know, so there, again. We'll have to see, but uh, that's what I would do with the top two lines. Felino at uh, 1A and then, or sorry, Hyman at 1A, Felino 1B. Okay. Some might argue you would leave Hyman on the third line, and and sometimes that's a, that's a sway in a playoff series. But uh, I, I think what you're, you know, and I would agree with you, um, anything works. It depends on the specific matchup, and, and then you see, you tweak it from there. Right. And, you know, the thing is, too, is, you know, it's looking like the Leafs and the Canadians are going to play in the first round. There aren't going to be any surprises in Montreal. No, no. Just, like, just like there won't be any for the Canadians and the Leafs. And, you know, the, the Canadians have their own injury issues and that sort of thing right now. But, um, you know, I, I don't have the stats in front of me, but, you know, Hyman, I know, has, has, has done really good things with, with Marner and Matthews, makes them better players. The production goes up a bit when he's with them and, uh, you know, there will be no unknowns when the puck drops in game one, whether it's Montreal or whoever it might be. Calgary, maybe, I guess. We'll have to see. But uh, um, the Leafs will be in a good spot regardless of who they use where. Yep. Terry, thanks very much. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Jim. Down the hall we go. We welcome in Gus Katsaros from NBC Sports Edge and McKean's Hockey with further, more specific analysis. Okay, guys. So, I mean, another good streak for the Leafs. Uh, four straight wins. The last three by the score four one. And I have to say, the four one wins are eerily similar, all three of them. And then it's preceded by the o three and two, I guess, slump, which is you know a, a bit of a stretch now. I mean, there's there's three losses there, but there's two that go into extras. So, I mean, that's that is their valley uh, in the recent game. So, what is? Do you have a comparison between o three and two and four and zero? Oh? 
two things that are strikingly different um, is the success of the power play. So once the power play began to um, finally find some success again, um, you could see it defi uh, definitively affect um, the outcome of games. Not just that, it gave the Leafs another weapon. Like without them being uh, productive on the power play, uh, they they just didn't have that eccentric weapon that they could have used at any given moment. So you draw penalties, um, and that's one of the abilities of Toronto to do. Their speed, their, their type of game that they play forces other teams to try to take uh, unconventional methods to be able to kind of take them down, which leads to penalties. So early on in the season, you saw uh, Toronto's power play really lead them. Um, and at the same time, what you've seen in the last five games is a, a regeneration of that. The concern, though, is the penalty kill. So penalty kills, just like power plays, have fluctuations. They, they ebb and flow. They have peaks and valleys. And right now, what you're seeing is consistent, even strength play. You're getting right. better production on your power play. But the penalty kill is starting to become a bit troublesome. So you'd like to balance everything and make sure that everything is kind of balanced going into the playoffs. Right. Um, there are structural issues with the penalty kill that I don't particularly care for. Um, and some of the little issues that they've kind of uh, addressed with the power play have really come to fruition. Um, so now it's just a matter of let's see what happens over these next three or four games, because I think we're going to see a lot more experimentation rather than strict results oriented play. Right. Um, so we might see some variation with all situation play from Toronto. Okay, so can you specifically take us through? Um, I mean, the, the leap power play is, is night and day. It, it was tentative, uh, it was searching, and now it's definitive. And it, it's, I mean, there's all kinds of pressure, all kinds of opportunity. So maybe a little analysis on that. And, and the PK, what, what's drifted there? So from the PK, I think there is a... I, see, the thing from the PK is I, I wouldn't specifically talk about the numbers itself there are structural issues that i think that they need to address one the forwards are a little too freewheeling they don't set they don't give the opposition uh, the fits that they're supposed to in order to um, not allow the opposition to set up on the power play so i think that they can set up better on on this uh, on the blue line to make zone entries much more difficult i think that they could be much more aggressive in zone they give up way too much space kind of like in the middle of the zone right where it's a very high danger area for shots right. if the shots don't necessarily go in there's rebounds which kind of introduce um, a higher element of high danger opportunities and that's what the data is telling me the data is showing that opponents are taking higher quality shots leading to higher quality rebounds. Um, and there isn't enough presence in the net there to, uh, to be able to take that over. Um, so those are really the little issues from the penalty kill that I think that desperately need to be addressed. That, they got five or six games to kind of iron all of that out before they hit the postseason. Um, and I'd like to see a little bit of some changes going there. Okay. So in the power play, I mean, what, what did they do? Because it's just night and day different. So the power play at We'll, we'll, we'll take it from when it's effective versus not effective, because I think from the fluctuations over what we've seen after they've come out of the, the horrendous slump, um, what you saw was predictability. And the power play is best effective when they can kind of get in the zone, set up, and start generating chances. The Leafs were way too predictable in that situation. So the drop pass in the neutral zone really thwarted a lot of zone entries. And you could see the frustration and um, build as that happened. They got into the zone and weren't able to set up. So even when they did end up getting set up, the, they were just taking shots from the half boards and then trying to generate some some rebounds and there wasn't enough presence in the net front so the least become way too predictable get the puck to the half boards wait for the shot 
and expect chaos afterwards. Now what I think they've done is they've implemented some very different things, such as a lot more goal line to half board passing. So now you get more defensemen moving. They also seem to be taking a little less time on the point, which I think is an element that we're going to see very differently moving forward in the game itself. Um, so less point shots, but much more focused down low. So that's what Toronto, I think, really did. They took the focus from the top. They took the focus directly from the half boards. They implemented more play down low and forced defensemen and the forwards to turn their heads away from what their chosen spots are to um, to, to to cover. So I think they, they ele elevated that element of unpredictability that has really generated a lot more scoring chances and has seen a lot more success lately. They need to continue doing that in order to keep generating that kind of success. Predictability is death, and you can't have predictable power plays. You just aren't going to have enough success to maintain sustainability. Okay, I've, I've mentioned this a couple times already on, on the podcast, but to me, the Thursday night lineup is, is very intriguing. You've got four guys uh, on maintenance, and you have four guys in the injury list. So uh, just to not to be repetitive, but to remind everybody, the injury list had Anderson, Nash, Hyman, and Bogosian, and the maintenance guys were uh, Muzzin, Riley, Felino, and Campbell. Now, it, it breaks down nicely because there's three defensemen, three forwards, and two goalies. I mean, th th those are sizable uh, deletions from a roster for totally legitimate reasons. Um, and, and what you have in replacement of those guys uh, function like the guys, like the regular guys, which is phenomenal, isn't it? So there was an instance right at the beginning of the game where uh, it was Galchenyuk and Tavares working the puck in the cycle off the left wing. Um, and you see Galchenyuk curl up from the boards, head to the blue line, and just a little cheeky pass along the blue line and he skated to his next position. It's as if he understood, one, I can make this play because I trust my teammate. B, my teammate is expected to be there, so now I know where the puck is supposed to go. And it's also a new player implemented into the system who understands the nuances of that system to be able to seamlessly keep their even strength play going regardless of who's playing in the lineup. In essence, the structure that the coaching staff and management puts into play should allow for players to be interchangeable in a different skill set, but to maintain the same level of competitiveness, the same level of risk and uh, um, risk assessment, and and I guess the appetite for it, right? If you want to really just open it up or, or tighten up. So I think that the coaching staff and management have implemented that vision. They've put in players that have very similar characteristics. And a good example of that, I think, is Jake Muzzin. We looked at Jake Muzzin as being a defensive defenseman and a defensive specialist. He's not. He has a lot of offensive qualities. And those qualities, just because he's kind of aged and, and they've, um, they've dropped off a little bit, uh, when he entered the league, he was a primarily mobile offensive defenseman. The Leafs have used that model in order to upgrade their blue line. Last night, we saw it with Rasmus Sandin. And there is the next Morgan Riley, who's essentially um, being groomed to take over that spot. But similar characteristics, mobility, good legs, understands the game and where to be structurally. It just takes a little bit of time to get to the NHL pace. So the essence of what Toronto's been trying to build, given the a little bit of luck in landing players like Matthews and Marner and the Nylanders and Tavares. Um, they've been able to implement that level of play, the expectations, the responsibilities afforded to each position, and they seamlessly are able to move in and out regardless of who's actually playing. 
Right, so I'm going to throw a couple of things at you. For, for me, this is the first time in a long time that the lease would have the template, the system, and then you just plug people in. Um, and the other thing of it is it's like a fully stocked store. And so when one item goes down, where sales are high on this item, not available, bring this item in. And it's an interchangeable part, which I say that with all due respect, but but they have that flexibility, don't they? Absolutely. And that's kind of the the... the... I mean, we kind of look at it from a few drafts back. You saw when the lease picked up Travis Dermott. Again, another example of a player in junior in his development who was mobile, a lot of offensive skill, a lot of individual offensive skill as well. It doesn't necessarily have to be in a team concept. Um, but the skills that they were looking at to build are also those skills that they wanted to have in their lineup. They want to have that mobile defense. Defense has changed from, from our heydays. Uh, it's not about shot suppression. It's about getting pucks back, transitioning, and being part of the offense. Um, so they've molded those those concepts in terms of skills. So those interchangeable parts are there because it doesn't matter. Those skill sets are, 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 are rock solid enough to be able to put in and out of the lineup. At the same time, to your point, adding a player, for instance, like Jason Spezza, where you slot him in on the fourth line, but you know that you can kind of move him up and down the lineup if you really need it. Zach Hyman is a great opportunity, a great example of that. A line is struggling, a specific skill set is required, and you kind of move them up and down the lineup. So that's where the structure comes in that the Leafs are trying to implement. And you're right. The seamless quality is one of the characteristics of what they wanted to try to do in the first place. Well, we'll end on this. I'm glad you brought up Travis Dermott because this has been uh, something sort of like a building exercise for a franchise. Uh, Travis Dermott, Sandine, uh, and Morgan Riley. I don't think Lilligren fits in long term just because of expansion and, and whatever. But so those are the three names. Remember all the other names, all the other draft picks. I mean, I don't know what the what the uh, the average is there, but there's at least nine other guys that that you know they looked at. Over, over a number of years, and, and they had to move out with asset management in a lot of cases. But but those are the numbers, aren't they? That's essentially it, yeah. And it's the skill set that determines whether or not Toronto wants to move on with, uh, with these players. Toronto's draft philosophy has always been swing for the fences. So whether that's a forward or a defenseman, somebody that they know has maybe some flaws that they can kind of work with. The Travis Dermott example is kind of like what I said before. He had an offensive skill set that was – exactly in the mold that Toronto really wants. Um, so they moved ahead with him. I'm not 100% sure. At, at first glance, I expected Travis Dermott to at least be some form of a replacement for Jake Gardner, and he hasn't gotten to that point. Now we see Sandine and and Lilligren, I think, still has a spot in Toronto. I'm the, I think that there's still a jury um, deliberating on that. Right. Um, but there is he fits that skill set as well. It's more about mobility and, and outlet passing rather than um, joining the Russian and, and skating, but there is a fit for him as well too. So it, it kind of goes right back to to the mold, the type of player that they want in any particular position, any specific position, and being able to continuously improve either through internal development or through cheap free agent acquisitions or cheap trades to be able to keep those players moving into that that position um, in and out seamlessly. That That's kind of the, the, the mold here. It's interesting how you looked at it from the Dermot perspective, because I thought that that was a really great example. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, you, you know, you always, when you're building, you always hope that everybody makes it, but you know, many are called fewer chosen is, is the line, the biblical reference. Uh, and, and so <laughs> let me, again, final, final question. Uh, when you're doing your analysis on the leaves this year, as opposed to all the other years where it didn't work out, what is the big difference for you? 
Well, two things right off the bat, you knew that they were going into this year with a, the mindset of this has to be a, a, a it has to be a, a leap year, like a, a point where they're moving on from we've we're fully developed. We're now in the contention stage. So I think that that line was directly drawn this past summer. Um, the loss to Columbus last season was one of those do or die moments that's like, OK, we can't continue along this path. Right. Um, personally, on my side, the ascension of Austin Matthews to where he is today, the support that he gets from mitch marner and the pairing that they get out of Tavares and nylander i think sent a very distinct message to the league we're going to bomb you with goals and goals and goals and goals shore up your defense do whatever you have to do so they went away from the mentality of okay we have a lot of young players and we're going to see where they fit they went directly the opposite we now know that what it takes to win a cup we have a lot of those components in play the one component that they didn't have in play, they picked up a Nick Foligno at the trade deadline. So it was nice that they had the vision to say, okay, we got the Spetses, the Thorntons, we got the, the emotional part of everything. We have the intellectual part of everything. We have the skill set that we desire. We got to be contenders right now. So that line in the sand was completely drawn going into this season. It changed the way that I looked at Toronto and how I've been analyzing them this season as well. Gus, thanks for your time. Really appreciate it. Pleasure's always mine, Jim. Yes, Guy. Last minute of play in this podcast. All right, there's the time warning for Mike Ross, our PA announcer, and also the fine PA announcer at Scotiabank Arena. Time now for the Yes Guy, No Guy Awards, and I have to tell you, no guy has the week off. Austin Matthews, oh, my guy. An emphatic yes guy. Mitch Marner, again, oh, my guy. An emphatic yes guy. Team chemistry, yikes guy, which translates into another yes guy. Team depth, are you kidding me, guy? This is fantastic. A hearty yes guy. Hope you enjoyed episode 32. Hope you come back for episode 33, Leafs guy, on Tuesday.